Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. As we begin this second week of Advent in a sermon titled An Unlikely Salvation, I want to open by reading the words of Isaiah 60. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has shone upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness with peoples, with the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. My friends, this is why we celebrate Advent. This is why we have a candle as the image of Advent this year, because it's this idea of the dawning of this light of Jesus coming into the world, who John calls the light. He is the light that shines in the darkness. And so we enter into the season of Advent anticipatory, waiting for the arrival of Jesus, reenacting the waiting of the world for thousands of years. And so as we begin today, continuing to walk through Isaiah 53, I'm going to begin by reading Derek's text from last week and then our text from this week, starting in Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, as we look at this text, um, uh, I could not help but think as we were thinking about sheep and uh, lost sheep coming home about a story back all the way in 2004. Uh, There's a story of a sheep. His name is Shrek. Okay, He's named Shrek the sheep in New Zealand. And he became world famous. He was literally on the cover of magazines. He was on the front page of the news. Now, why did the sheep called Shrek the sheep from New Zealand Um, make the front page of the news. Well, here's the deal. He's a merino sheep. He generates merino wool. um, And uh, the sheep are supposed to be sheared every year. And they get about 10 pounds of wool per year. Now, this particular sheep, they they free range and they eat. And then what happens is, is that the shepherd musters them or calls them in. So he calls out to the sheep and they come and then they get shorn and then they go back out and graze. Well, there's this one rebellious sheep named Shrek, and he would hide in caves when the muster came. When the shepherd would come out and call them in, he would go hide in caves, and he did so for six years. 
And then finally, one day they were looking around and they saw this sheep that was just covered with wool to the extent that it could barely stand. And then they went to go find him and he still was trying to hide behind a rock. He was still trying to avoid capture. His legs were so weak, he could barely stand. He was very malnourished. And, and, and so what they did was they got the sheep and they hand fed him. They uh, restored him to strength. And then a couple weeks later on New Zealand TV, it must have been a slow week on TV because they had a master shearer show up and on live television, Shrek the sheep had his wool taken off. And he had over 60 pounds of wool. Over 60 pounds of wool was weighing this, this little sheep down. And um, what's hilarious was is I was on the sheep's Wikipedia page trying to, to make sure my facts were straight before I started the sermon. And um, it, it has for celebrities or for famous people, it says what they're known for. And underneath Wikipedia, uh, Shrek the Sheep was known for avoiding capture. That was literally what the first thing he's known for is for avoiding capture. And, you know, I can't help but think about this being you and me, this idea of Shrek the sheep, of, of kind of coming away, running away when we are being called in and then unfortunately experiencing the suffering of rebellion. And then, of course, we had these shepherds that had to go find Shrek, and we have a great shepherd named Jesus who comes and finds us and brings us back and frees us of the burdens that we've been carrying for so long. And so with that in mind, four quick points for our sermon today. Um, The four points from Isaiah 53 verses four to six are, our pain carried, our punishment paid, our sickness healed, and our rebellion reconciled. So let's begin by looking at our pain carried. Isaiah 53 verse four. Surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, when we get to this point in the story of Israel, they were in Isaiah's writing to a nation that is enslaved and is in the process of being enslaved. And so these promises that had been present in Israel for thousands of years of a coming Messiah, these promises um, were just really forefront in Israel's mind. They were expecting a victorious king that would be uh, dynamic and that would lead them into freedom. And Isaiah kind of is talking about this idea of God's judgment. And then one day there's the Savior that's going to come. But when you get to this part of Isaiah, you get confused because all of a sudden, they see that this is not the king that they're looking for. We see at the beginning, he has no form about him that we should be drawn to him. He's, he's not attractive in any way. Derek talked about last week, like a root out of dry ground that you would just cut off and throw away and discard. That's like Jesus. He's not the strong, dynamic leader that Israel had in its past and that they were looking for. And this is further emphasized by this idea that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This idea to bear, to borne our griefs means to lift up, to take away, okay? That's that word, born. And then it says that he's carried our sorrows. This idea to carry, it literally means to shoulder a weight, to accept a burden as one's own. So we get this picture that that of, of Jesus carrying um, are bearing, right? So he's taking 
our burdens, lifting burdens off of us and then carrying or shouldering our burdens onto him. And these are our griefs and our sorrows. He's shouldering the weight of our pain. And already we are confused because these words were used just one verse earlier. Look with me just at verse three of this same chapter. It says, he was despised and rejected by man. Listen to this. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, you see, when you read verse three, we think that he has his own sorrows and he has his own grief. He says, a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. And he's well acquainted with his own sorrows and with his own grief. But actually, what we see in verse four is a new revelation that it's actually our sorrows, our griefs that he is well acquainted with. You see, the sickness and the illness that the world saw in the Savior and then subsequently rejected him because of it is actually the sickness and the illness in you and me. It's in us. You see, humanity was repulsed by the Savior, but really what we were repulsed by is our own griefs and sorrows that he was intimately embodying and becoming acquainted with in front of us. And you see, it's in this pronoun are that we find a significant truth of what it means to be a Christian. It says he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, and this directly connects with Jesus because in Matthew 8, Jesus is healing people. And it actually, in verse 17, it references this very text here. It says this was to fulfill. He's healing people because it says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So you see, we must, this is, this is what it means to be a Christian, is that we must see our griefs and sorrows and how they are shouldered on by Jesus. You see, when we don't see a need for Jesus, what he does does not make sense. You see, if we don't see our personal need, Jesus becomes simply a good teacher that people have exaggerated throughout human history. But when we see our need, that is what draws us to Jesus, who is the only person ever born who didn't deserve to experience grief and sorrow, and yet he took it on voluntarily. He shouldered our pain, and he shoulders the shame for you and for me. He became intimately knowledgeable about our pain so that he might save us. And you see, when we reject Jesus, we really are rejecting the idea that we have a need for him to carry our pain. We're saying that we can do it ourselves. That's literally what we're saying when we reject Jesus. But when we embrace Jesus, when we see that Jesus, who did nothing to deserve sorrow, voluntarily carried our pain to the extent that what was said about him was true, that he was ultimately smitten by God on the cross, then you and I can have hope. Why? Why is this? Because Jesus carried our pain into ultimate despair so that when we experience pain in this life, we can reject despair and embrace hope. So we see that our pain is carried by Jesus. And what we'll see in the next verse is truly how far he carried our pain with our second point, our punishment paid. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
This introduces a level of violence. So we see this idea that he's lifting up our burdens and shouldering them himself. He's carrying our pain. But then we see this inclusion of violent language. The idea of being pierced is to means to pierce through or to pierce fully through or to fully pierce through someone so it comes out the other side. This is a violent death. And this idea of being crushed for our iniquities means to be completely destroyed. So what this text is saying is that Jesus had experienced complete, utter, violent, painful annihilation. The Savior will experience complete, utter, violent, painful annihilation. And it's in that word for that we find an astounding truth that the Savior is our substitute. That he experienced a violent death and utter annihilation, what? For our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities. And this is clearly talking about the cross and clearly talking about Jesus. But this doesn't make sense. How does Jesus being our substitute on the cross truly work? How does it work? Well, we get that from 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul explains to us how it works. He says, for our sake, and I'll take the um, pronouns and put in proper nouns. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So essentially, um, what happens on the cross is Jesus takes all of our badness and gives us all of his goodness. It says, for God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So what it's saying is that Jesus did not have an intimate knowledge of sin. He did not have an experiential knowledge of sin at all. And yet God the Father made Jesus to be the embodiment of our sin. He actually literally embodied our sin and guilt and shame. He actually was placed on him on the cross. And then that's, that's what happened to Jesus, and that when we choose to follow Jesus, we're essentially offloading. Remember, it says that he's lifting up our burdens. He's bearing our burdens, right? So essentially, we're accepting that offer when we choose to follow Jesus, so that he lifts the burdens and places it on his shoulders, and he's already resolved it at the cross 2,000 years ago. So what happens is, is that on the cross, he takes our sin and places it on his shoulders and the punishment for that sin. But If that's only what he did, that would just simply leave us morally neutral, right? We'd just be an empty cup. And what would be filled back up in that empty cup is just more sin and brokenness. We just go right back to it. So there needs to be another exchange that happens where he gives us his goodness so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus takes our badness on the cross and then he gives us his goodness and perfection. So he gives us his perfect life And in his death, he takes on all of our sin and brokenness. So we get the perfect life of Christ, and then he takes all of our sin and brokenness with him in death. So we have the same right. If you choose to follow Jesus, God sees you as having the same record as Jesus's perfect life. So in life, Jesus was our perfect example and our perfect life that he gives to us. And in death, he takes on the punishment that we deserve. My friends, Jesus was ultimately crushed so that you and I could be restored again. He paid our punishment so that when we sin, we still have the applause of heaven over our 
lives. You see our punishment is paid. But then we see the next part of verse 5. We see our sickness healed. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This idea of chastisement means corrective punishment. It's very interesting to think about the Savior who is going to come and save Israel and save the world would be have to be corrected. But that's what it says here. You see, this Savior was punished and corrected even though he had done no wrong to bring us back into universal peace, to bring us back into flourishing and thriving with God and with ourselves and with others. And the question, and maybe it might be a good place for us to stop here and pause and say, what motivates this? What motivates God to do this for us, to have a Savior that does these things, that is our substitute? Well, the very next chapter in Isaiah 54, it says these words. It says, For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. He literally says, his steadfast love is stronger than the foundations of the mountains. And he says, his promise of peace will not be removed, and the Lord has compassion on you and me. This is what motivates Jesus to do what Isaiah 53 is foretelling that he would do, because his compassion brings substitution. He says, I'll step in. I'll shoulder the burden. I'll take the blame. I'll be crushed so that they can be whole again. And this substitution then brings us healing. Now, in um, the early 1900s, the world was going through World War I. And of course, England was especially uh, involved in this war. And at the end of the war, all these soldiers would come home. And of course, they didn't understand back then what we understand now about PTSD. And there was this English pastor named Edward Shalito. And he ministered in England in, to war-torn veterans in the wake of World War One. He was taking care of them in his parish, dealing with their just constant difficulties. And he wrote a poem in 1919 called Jesus of the Scars. And the last stanza of the poem says this. It says, the other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. My friends, Jesus experienced the crushing punishment and was mortally wounded. So that when we experience the sickness of sin in our own lives, it is not ultimately fatal and we can be healed. Our sickness healed because of Jesus. And then finally, our rebellion reconciled. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are all the sheep that have gone astray. Every one of us. Like Shrek, the sheep running away when we heard the call of God, we experienced nothing from that rebellion except more pain. The weight of sin more than 60 pounds of wool, the weight of sin making it harder and harder 
to come back home. And we don't just need a good moral example. That won't resolve the rebellion. My friends, what we need is a good shepherd who finds us, who shoulders our pain, who pays our punishment, and who heals our sickness. And on his resurrected shoulders, we are carried home to a father who loves us and reconciles us in our rebellion. You see, this is why we celebrate Advent. It's the arrival of the shepherd happens when we are in rebellion, far from home, hiding in the caverns of our own selfishness. And this good shepherd finds us and he saves us. And we celebrate the arrival of the good shepherd, the Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, all of this is an unlikely salvation accomplished through an unbelievable substitution. You see, Jesus' shoulders are pain. He is crushed so that we could be put back together. He is wounded so that we could be healed. And he is abandoned on the cross so that we can be reconciled and brought back home. And does this change our life? Does this change your life? You see, what we have to look at here in this text is that Jesus dies in weakness. And he accomplishes the greatest work in human history through it. So we can only access salvation from the weak, dying Jesus Christ to us weak, dying, and unhealthy sinners. And when we believe this, we end up becoming in this posture of weakness. And it is in this posture of weakness that we find our truest strength. We die to ourselves and follow Jesus. And just two examples about how this truly can change your life. And the first is um, with our families, and specifically with men. When we love our wives and children selflessly, because we have been loved selflessly, it changes everything. You see, when we first come to our lives, when we live our lives, we live selfishly. When we live selfishly, our families suffer. When we live indulging our trauma and our PTSD, when we live indulging, for military people especially, when we live indulging our own selfishness, indulging our anger, indulging our tendencies to be harsh with our children, when we have recreation that doesn't involve our family at all and we kind of go do our own thing, what happens is our families suffer because of that. And then ultimately at the end of our lives, we're in bondage because our family doesn't want to be around us. But you see, this is the freedom that comes with following Jesus. When we're selfless, when we're humble, we actually willingly enter into weakness, enter into constraint like Jesus did, and we take the lowest place like Jesus did. We end up serving and loving our family well. And then what happens is we experience a different and better freedom because of our restraint and because of our care. So we experience a different and better freedom that sees our families thrive. And then our kids want to be around us when we get older. Because we've sacrificed for them. We have restrained ourselves. We've limited our, we've limited our freedom. Just like Jesus limited his freedom so that ultimately we can experience a truer and better freedom with our families. Just a second example of how this can change your life and following Jesus changes your life is that we have a different perspective on our, on our time and things. Because then everything we have is from God. You see, it, if we hoard our things, right? And we're fearful to share them. We think that we are the master of our fate. We are the captain of our destiny. And we invest so much into this life. And we find our security in money or possessions or status. That makes us incredibly insecure. 
just like the Shrek the sheep that wanted to go out and experience freedom, it all ultimately was his bondage because he could barely stand. The weight of the crushing weight of the wool, could he could barely stand and barely eat. And it's the same thing with us. When we think about our time and things, when we seek to kind of be our own person and seek to hoard attention or hoard money or hoard status, we become incredibly insecure people, right? The perception of freedom actually is what brings us into bondage. But when we freely offer up our things to God, when we freely offer up our time to God, when we freely offer up our reputation to God, when we're willing to let people look down on us and not always correct their misperceptions of us out of care for them and love for them, we become more vulnerable, maybe financially, maybe emotionally, but we also become infinitely more free from the possession or the obsession with money or things or status because those things don't hold any weight over us. You see how voluntarily constraining ourselves, that, that by limiting ourselves, by willing to be weak, willing to be misunderstood, willing to be perceived differently than we want to be, actually allows us to have an incredible freedom from the obsession with money or things or status. You see, we have to see ourselves as having a grief that needs shouldering, having brokenness that needs putting back together, having sickness that needs to be healed, and having a rebellion that needs to be reconciled. When we see ourselves in this way, we actually become free because we're taking the lowest place like Jesus. And then we find our identity and security in him. But we have to see two things in order to be truly free. We first have to see that we are rebellious sinners that need a dramatic rescue from God himself, as we have to see. First, we have to see that we are rebellious sinners that need a dramatic rescue from God himself. And then secondly, only when we see that first point, we can see the second point, that we are rescued sheep brought home to the applause of heaven over our lives. See, Shrek, Shrek the sheep strayed from the flock. He spent years in the wilderness, barely alive, barely able to stand. And when he was found, he was brought back under a caring shepherd and he thrived. And he was relieved of his burdens. The invitation for you and me today is to come back home today on the strong shoulders of God himself, who substituted himself for you. Because Jesus experienced the ultimate abandonment, so that even when you feel abandoned, you are never truly alone. This is the work of God for us. This is God with us. This is Emmanuel. <laughs> this is the promised Savior. This is the unlikely salvation. This is Him coming to find you and bring you home by taking your burdens onto Himself, by repairing and healing your brokenness through the wounds that he suffered. This is, this is him substituting himself in place of your punishment. He puts himself there so you can experience grace. And this is him finding you in your rebellion and reconciling you and bringing you home again. All you have to do is see that you are a rebellious sinner that needs a dramatic rescue effort from God himself. And then you can see yourself as a rescued sheep brought home to the applause of heaven over our lives. Go with God, submit to him, make him Lord and King over your life. You'll experience a freedom you never even could have imagined. Thank you so much for watching this and have a good week.
Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.